The following audio is from Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com. Let me me just invite you to open your Bibles this morning to Genesis 1. Genesis 1, and uh, we're going to, typically, I'm in one passage, you know, anywhere from 3 to, you know, 13 or more verses or something like that, and we walk through verse by verse. Um, during this little series we're in, Life on Mission, I'm not going to do, be doing that. I'm going to be sort of jumping around. So we'll start here in Genesis 1, and um, we'll, we'll go to some different places. I'm not generally a topical preacher, but we feel like this is a topic that we as a faith family, that any Christian needs to get. And as we walk through books of the Bible, and I'm walking through Exodus, 40 chapters, uh, it would be sometimes easy to neglect certain things that we want to encourage you to as we're being faithful to that text there. And so we take a time out from that, come to this, because we want to, uh, to encourage you to live life on mission. Well, 65 years ago, which just excludes a lot of you, but 65 years ago, we could assume, or I should say you could assume, because I wasn't around 65 years ago, um, but if you were, you could assume certain things. Uh, you could assume 65 years ago that since gas was at 19 cents per gallon, you could fill your car up for $3.23. Now, wouldn't that be nice, right? Um, if you got tired of that car, you could buy a brand new one for around $1,500. Brand new, not used. Not dealing with somebody else's junk in there that you're cleaning out, Cheerios under the seat and all that kind of stuff. Brand new, $1,500. If you had $1.50 in your pocket, you could go to the grocery store and you should be able to buy a loaf of bread, a pound of hamburger, a a pound of bacon, and a dozen eggs. You go to your garden and you get some lettuce and tomatoes, man, you're set, right? Um, A postage stamp was just three cents, which means that you could mail pretty much all of your Christmas cards for under a buck, unless you're just like a popular guy, you know, and and you got more friends than that. You could also assume that in 1965, that on a Sunday morning, uh, I'm sorry, 1951, 65 years ago, 1951, you could also assume that come Sunday morning, the, the majority of your city, your town, was going to get up, put their Sunday best on, and go to church. Well, guess what? We're not in 1951 anymore. We're a long way from it. Most people today don't go to church at all. I told you last week that there are 3.6 million people in South Carolina alone who don't go to church at all, aren't affiliated, aren't connected with a church at all. Many of them know something about the Bible, but, but have no idea that it's one big story and how it all fits together. If, if a person who's not connected with a church knows something of the Bible, probably, and this is not meant to be a, a slam, this is not an angry preacher up here talking about all those sinners out there. I'm just stating the facts that if a person not connected with a church knows something of the Bible, it probably is one of two things. It's probably a single verse or, or, a, or a collection of verses that 
they don't know the context really. Therefore, they really don't know what that verse is trying to, to really communicate. Or that person may know stories of the Bible. David and Goliath and different stories like that of the Bible. But even then, without knowing that this is one overarching big story, they don't know how those things fit in. And the temptation there is to turn the story of David and Goliath from pointing to the eventual rescuer who would come, who was Jesus Christ. Instead, the temptation is to take stories like that and to personalize them and say, if I just trust in God, there won't be any giant that can harm me. And while there may be a grain of truth in that, that's not the intended purpose of that story. I'll again go back to and tell you, you know, if, if I write a, a letter to my wife and you find it 50 years from now, um, that letter was never meant really for you to understand. It was meant for my wife. I was writing to her. I'm going to say some things to my wife that, sorry, or maybe good thing, I'm not going to say to you, Right? Well, we need to understand what God originally intended when he wrote this letter called the Bible. And if we look around, we can no longer assume that a culture knows this message of the Bible. Many in our culture today, and again, just stating the facts here, many, if they believe in God at all, it's not necessarily the God of the Bible. Perhaps it's a God of their own making. It's a God that they uh, have constructed out of what they would love to see in a God. And this has led uh, different philosophers to write about and, and, um, and, and social writers to, to write about something called moralistic therapeutic deism. And this is the God of our culture today, that moralistic, that he basically, if there's a God, basically he wants me to be good, that he's therapeutic, that he wants me to be happy, and that he's deistic, that he's not personally involved in my life, that maybe, maybe he did create things and maybe he's got this thing started, but he really is not close to me. He wants me to be good. He wants me to be happy. And he's, he's out there somewhere. And this is the God, typically, I'm, being, I'm stereotyping here, this is the God of those who are not connected with the church anywhere. So for those of us here today, that are believers, that are connected with a local church, that have Christ as Savior, in telling people without Christ the hope that can be found in the gospel, we can no longer start that conversation where we once did. We can no longer start that conversation the way we might have in 1951. Now, we cannot come with those presuppositions or those assumptions. If we're going to be able to communicate the hope of the gospel it must start all the way in the beginning. It must start in Genesis 1. So let's look at that, and I want to read to you just one verse. You're familiar with it. You've uh, even, maybe if you're not connected with the church, maybe you're familiar with this. But Genesis 1.1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, we can no longer uh, assume that people have this understanding. Um, but we have to start, if we're going to tell people the hope that can be found in the gospel, we have to start not with Jesus. We must start with God. 
And I don't want to create a a dichotomy between those two. I believe wholeheartedly that Jesus is indeed God. But if we don't understand why God became a man, then we will not understand anything at all. So we start with the, the big picture of God, this triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit existing perfect in perfect harmony together. Psalm 90 verse 2 says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, uh, and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. I just read to you Genesis 1.1 that in the beginning, it was God. And he created the heavens and the earth. This was a quandary to me as a, as a kid. I remember having this thought, being raised in church, being raised in Sunday school, and being taught this, that God had created everything that, uh, that existed. I remember thinking, but, but who made God? And then the reason goes from there, well, maybe there was another God that made God. Well, then who made that God? Well, maybe there was another God that made that God that made God. And it's just an infinite number there of gods unless God is indeed eternal, that he never had a beginning, that there was never a time when God was not. We can't assume the same things we used to be able to assume. We can no longer assume anybody even has a belief in God. Um, There have been books written, and I'm currently reading a book, The Rise of the Nuns, not those ladies who wear black and white who you know, labor for the Catholic Church, but the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, uh, the rise of the nuns, those who declare that they have no religious affiliation. And our culture around us is growing probably faster there than anywhere. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, said, I am convinced that the trouble with the world today is that it does not believe in God. And much of our evangelism goes wrong because it starts with the Lord Jesus Christ. But you must start with God the Father, God the Creator, the one whose glory fills the heavens, who is over all. With reverence, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, with reverence, I say that you cannot understand the Lord Jesus Christ. And indeed, there is a sense in which there is no meaning to him and to the message about him unless you start with God the Father. God has always existed. And what you and I know, everything you and I know, has been created by him. Let me just teach you this morning, less preaching and more teaching this morning about who God is. Well, just some things I'll highlight. God is eternal, which I've already said means there was never a time when God was not. Do you realize there is nothing else anywhere that that can be said of? Everything you and I know has had a beginning point. God is not. Um, I, I drive a 2014 truck. In 2013, depending on when it was mo- made and, and rolled off the assembly line, it didn't exist. You know, I, I, I came to be your pastor in 2009. Um, before that, I was not your pastor. Nobody was calling me saying, hey, pastor, would you pray for this? Or, hey, pastor, what do you think about this? There was a point where I became your pastor. So everything else has a beginning, but God is not. God is the creator of everything. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28, the Bible says, have you not known, have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? 
Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Um, I've made mention of this before, but have you seen some of the skies at sunset in South Carolina? I mean, just absolutely gorgeous. In fact, I'm a little ticked off that they changed the license plate. Uh, Anybody else a little ticked off with that? Uh, Used to be just this, they had captured really on, on a piece of metal on the back of of automobiles, this, these sunsets that are gorgeous around here. I, I grew up in East Tennessee, and, and we had sunsets, but it, it, didn't, it didn't illuminate the sky like it does here. There are not these multicolored hues of, of, uh, of orange and purple and blue. Psalm 19.1 tells us that the heavens declare the glory of our God, that he is indeed the creator God is sovereign ruler of all. Psalm 95, verses 3 through 7. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our maker, for he is our God. And we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. If there was something else that was not created, if there was something else that that didn't have a beginning, that it just always was, then, then we could not say that God is the sovereign ruler over all. But since everything has had a beginning and he has not, that those things have come at the direction of his speech, he's sovereign ruler over all. Holy and righteous judge, God is. When Abraham interceded for Sodom, um, you may know some of that story. Uh, Sodom, Gomorrah, the awful, awful city. And uh, when Abraham interceded for Sodom, he was counting on two things. He was, he was counting on the fact that God indeed had an exclusive right to judge the world. And he was counting on the fact that God was indeed just. That he had this right, and no one else had this right to be judged, but he would be a good judge because he would not look at things that were evil and call them good. Nor would he look at things that were good and call them evil. That he would be just. Genesis 18, 25 reveals that. Abraham's prayer, he said, far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death and the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked... Far be that from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just. God's holy and righteous. He's the judge. God is love. 1 John 4, 16 says, God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. We can go on and on and on of of all the things that God is. We could could speak of his wisdom, his faithfulness, that he's true, that he's all-knowing, all-powerful, that he's good, that he's kind, that he's the redeemer, that he's just, that he's merciful, that he's immutable, unchangeable, that he's gracious, that he's long-suffering, that he's jealous, that he's self-sufficient, he's infinite, he's impartial, he's glorious, he's pure, he's healer, he's peace, he's comforting, he is father, he is master, he is alpha and omega, He is supreme. He is preeminent. And we could go on and on from there. 
God cannot be contained in a box. But if we are going to have an intelligent conversation that is winsome and persuasive with those who know nothing of the church or, or, or don't yet know the story of the gospel, then we must start with at least some understanding of God. And we get that understanding from his word. Because God, who could have been aloof, who could have stood at a distance, did not remain at a distance, but instead wrote a book so that we might know it, so that we might understand it. R.C. Sproul uh, said these words, men are never duly touched and impressed with a conviction of their significance until they have contrasted themselves with the majesty of God. And, And the reality of what he's saying there is that you and I can get puffed up and, and filled with pride and think that we're all that until we stand next to God. I can brag about some things about myself, and you may not know any different. Perhaps you do. You might be so kind as not to say anything, but if I'm bragging about those things while standing next to God, I'm a fool. And I'm a hypocrite because He is infinitely glorious. We start with God. So how did it all begin? It began with this God. Well, what is it all for? What is creation for? We look around and we say, okay, it all began with God, perhaps. I'll I'll at least concede that. But why would God make these things? Why does the world exist? Well, I would tell you that the, the, the main point of the Bible is that God would be glorified. All of creation exists to glorify God. Glorify does not mean to build him up. It doesn't mean to say things about him that are only half-truths, but they sound good if you say them, and people will think more of God. We don't have to. When we, when we talk to people about God who don't know the hope that's found in the gospel, we don't have to lie about God to make him sound better. We don't have to remove things that are true of God to make him sound better. To glorify God is not to build God up. How can you build up something that is infinite? No, to glorify God is to simply reveal him for who he is. Psalm 102 verse 25 says, Of old you laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. Romans 1 verse 20 For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, his invisible attributes, how would we see those if not for him working those things out through creation? Paul says there in Romans, they're invisible. These invisible attributes of God have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. According to this verse, Romans 1.20, humans are hardwired to know by creation that there is indeed a God and that he is glorious. I mean, all of us have probably had the experience of, of seeing that sunset I described or, or, or seeing some other just activity in nature or reality in nature that is just striking 
be in the birthing room of your first child or, or of all your children. I mean, just an incredible thing. And, and, and those things are meant, all of them are meant to point back to the Creator. Paul David Tripp said it this way. He's talking about life in the Garden of Eden that we see in Genesis 1 and 2. And Paul David Tripp said, God's creative artistry shown in the world he made and everything he placed in it was a thing of gorgeous and stunning beauty. The hills were awash in multi-hued flower with no weevil to consume their leaves and no mites to infect their blossoms. The soil was packed with life-giving nutrients. And there were no thorns, thistles, and weeds to be found. Trees were laden with the lushest, sweetest, most succulent fruit. There were no plagues or pollutants. Nature grew, bloomed, and produced without struggle or toil. There was untainted natural beauty as far as the eye could see. It literally covered the earth. I'm going to quote Galileo this morning, which is, I don't typically do, but I'm going to quote Galileo, um, and I love this quote. I want you to hang on the words here. Galileo, who was, who was shunned uh, by the, the Catholic Church for suggesting that uh, the sun didn't rotate around the earth, but instead the earth uh, rotated around the sun, um, Galileo said that the sun with all those planets revolving around and depending on it can still ripen a bunch of grapes as if it has nothing else in the universe to do. And that's, that's, that's amazing. And it's not amazing for the sake of, yay, son. Man, what a good job you're doing. No, the sun exists to ripen grapes and to warm our planet so that we might look past the sun and see the one who spoke the sun into being. Human beings were also made to glorify God. The, the human beings are the pinnacle of God's creation to be a reflection of him so that his glory would be magnified and to worship him and to obey him. This is why we exist. We're made in his image, the Bible says in Genesis 1, verses 26 and 27. If you're, you've got your Bibles open there, just look down to 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. If you turn over to chapter 2 and look at verse 7. Then the Lord God formed a man of, of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Everything else... That, that has ever been created, God spoke and became a being. When it came to man, when it came to Adam, the Bible says that he knelt, that he, 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 he shaped man from the dust of the earth and that he breathed into Adam and gave him life. So why the distinction? Well, the distinction is that human beings were made to 
bear the image of, to reflect their creator. Whereas other things, we're not. We're, we're different from the rest of creation. Uh, your dog never wonders about the problem of evil. I mean, does it? I mean, your dog pee on the carpet and then go, why do I keep doing this? I don't know why I keep doing this. I, I must be depraved in my soul. I'm so heartbroken over the condition of my depravity. I don't know why I keep going back to the rug and, and going here. I mean, your dog doesn't do that, does he? If he does, then you've got a special dog. A, a flying squirrel may glide from one treetop to the next, but a squirrel has never built a rocket and visited the moon, except maybe an ice age. Scrat did that, I think. Um, we're different from the rest of creation. And that's not by accident. We're not simply, by the process of evolution, the, 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 the top species on um, the spectrum. By design, God has made us to reflect Him. We've made it His image. Human beings were commissioned to govern God's creation. There, we just read it in verse 26 of chapter 1. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. We're commissioned to govern God's creation. We're designed to be fruitful and fill the earth with worshipers. There in verse 28 of chapter 1, God blessed them. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves. We're designed to be fruitful and fill the earth, to have children to the glory of God. We're, God's design for human beings is to live in harmony, to live in what the Bible refers to as shalom. This peace, the first human beings had this, in, 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 first in the Garden of Eden, everything worked perfectly. There was no death, no suffering, no pain, no sickness. It reveals God's design, uh, this harmony here in creation. Uh, you know, the, the, the verse that talks about that no rain had fallen and that the mist just kind of rose from the earth. It's like God's divine irrigation system, you know. And I just picture like, this is just sanctified imagination, but like these, you know, God created little sprinkler heads that just pop out of the ground. It's just God, you know, it just works. You know, nobody's paying a water bill. God just designed this thing for harmony. It works. God designed Adam and Eve to have harmony or shalom with him. Again, Paul Tripp said, people lived in heartfelt, loving, obedient worship of God. They worshiped the creator and managed creation. They didn't give in to worshiping creation and trying to manage the creator. There was no doubt of his, of his goodness, no fear of his anger. There was no overt rebellion or subtle disobedience. They obeyed his words and listened to his wisdom. There were no corrupting idols or competing systems of faith. No one was ever angry at God and God had no cause for anger with the people he had made. People loved God's glory and in, in no way lived for their own. This is God's harmony in his creation, in his perfect design. 
There was to be harmony or shalom with creation. That the physical world and the animal kingdom were at peace with mankind. I mean, imagine that. You could ride your bicycle or, in my case, when I was 14 years old, your moped around these roads in, in East Tennessee and, and turn down roads and not get chased by the Doberman Pinscher. Anybody ever been out for a run, jog or something, and, and a dog get after you? Wasn't happening in the beginning. God designed all of creation to work together, to be in harmony. Adam and Eve were in harmony and shalom with one another. First married couple in the Bible, and they have perfect peace. Adam and Eve never had an argument. Eve was never saying, you left your shoes in the living room again. Right? Adam was not saying, you don't seem to try anymore. Neither one of them looked at the other person and said, why do you spend so much money? There was none of that. In the beginning, they they didn't keep any secrets from one another. They never hurt one another intentionally or otherwise. I mean, anybody ever been guilty of that? Like, you didn't know what you were doing, but you hurt your spouse. It didn't happen. Vaughn Roberts um, said, this picture here is an idyllic picture of the good life. Some people look back on the 1950s, 1951 era and say, man, it's the good life. Those were the good old days. No, 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 this, this is the picture of the good life, Von Robert says. It's an idyllic picture of the good life, life as it was meant to be. We see in the Garden of Eden a pattern of the kingdom of God, God's people living in God's place, under God's rule, enjoying God's blessing. That's the picture of God's design for the good life. So the question is, okay, we know then maybe where it all began, how it all got started. It started with God, and there's some things we know about God. And we we now know why it all exists. It exists to point back to him, to glorify him. But, Pastor, i got to say, that is not my experience today. So what went wrong? Paul Tripp's quote that I, I read to you earlier, does that describe your garden? Let me just remind you, the hills awash in multi-hued flowers, that's your yard? Let me tell you, the multi-hued flowers in my yard are weeds, right? Paul Tripp said, no weevil to consume their leaves and no mites to infect their blossoms. Describe your garden. Are you having to treat that stuff? A soil packed with life-giving nutrients, no thorns, no thistles, no weeds to be found. I didn't describe my yard. I don't think it describes yours either. Do, do you live in perfect harmony with God? Or do you at times feel distant from Him? Do you live in perfect harmony with the animal kingdom? I mean, anybody feel good today about let's take a field trip to the, to the Greenville Zoo and, and go lie down and take a nap with the, you know, in the lion's den? Anybody want to sign up for that one? Everybody got their, their dog 
using the bathroom in the right places and only chewing on its toys and not chewing on the heels of your shoes or, or on the door frames of your house? What about your spouse? Everything just in harmony there? You guys never argue whatsoever? Listen, do you ever meet somebody that says, oh, my wife and I, we don't ever fight? They're lying. <laughs> you got everything together with your children? I mean, they just, just obey your commitment. They just walk in from school and say, Father, I'm home. I'm at your beck and call. I mean, anybody's children doing that? Because mine aren't. Your in-laws? <laughs> Whoa, now, wait a minute, right? Everybody's mother-in-law just feel great about you? See, the reality is we can't say that this is our experience today. We experience today what we experience today is very different from what I described earlier from what Genesis 1 and 2 describes. We live in a day where couples who struggle to conceive and to carry out the be fruitful and multiply mandate are are juxtaposed with, with women who get pregnant who don't want the baby and who terminate that baby. We live in a day where men and women who love relatively healthy, or who live relatively healthy lifestyles get cancer. We live in a day where we have heart disease and we have Lou Gehrig's disease and cerebral palsy and Down syndrome and MS and ADD and ADHD and Alzheimer's. We live in a day where we have house fires and earthquakes and flooding Hurricanes and tornadoes. We live in a day where there is homelessness, where there is poverty, where there is joblessness, where there is bankruptcy. We live in a day where slavery still exists, and not just in some distant foreign land, in America. I 85 is a corridor for the sex trade industry where children are kidnapped and sold into slavery. We live in a day with with spouse abuse and child abuse where elderly people are abused. We live in a day that is fraught with lying and and, and fraud and disrespect of parents and unsolved crimes. My sister today, over a year, well over a year, going on two years after being attacked uh, in my parents' driveway and and, uh, still to this day cannot walk. Um, we, We don't know an answer of who did that. It's an unsolved crime. I may go to my grave not knowing that. We live in a day of terrorism where men and women in the service of a religion or an an ideology will, will cut people's heads off. What Genesis 1 and 2 is not our reality. So the question is, the question that you should have at this point is, then Pastor, what went wrong? To which I would say, we're going to save that for another sermon. How's that for a hook? (laughs) I'm going to preach a sermon in a couple weeks called Living in Brokenness. 
And I would encourage you to be here for that. Uh, next week, we're going to have the privilege of hearing from Jerry McCorkle, um, who, if you've seen the, the little story booklets that we have out on this uh, the book corner out here, um, he's sort of one of the creators of the story booklets. Uh, he, he's going to be with us to preach next week. And in the following week, I'm going to preach this sermon, Living in Brokenness. And I would just encourage you to be here. If you cannot be here, I know we have some people in from out of town. Uh, we have a podcast on our website. I would just encourage you to go there and, and listen to that, if you will. Um, here's one thing I'll, I'll simply say. I won't leave it all in suspense because there, you could run to, run to some conclusions that are not healthy. And one conclusion would be then God must have failed. I mean, God, this project that God started must be like a lot of the projects I've started. I had good intentions, but man, it didn't work out like I thought it was going to. You know, that entertainment center sits just a little bit crooked, you know, or whatever the case may be. God didn't fail. And we're going to look at that in two weeks. Until then, I want you, if you're a believer here today, even if you're not a believer, begin to look at God's creation and ask him, Lord, reveal yourself to me and then thank him for his design. Worship him when you catch a glimpse of, its, of, of his design in creation. I mean, it may be fragments right now, but, but, but look at those things and give him praise. Um, if you're a Christian, when you see those things, cause it, let it cause you to, to long for him to come and restore that design. Pray that. Pray, Lord Jesus, come. If, if you're here today and you're not a Christian and, and all you've heard is this beginning, it started with God, it's meant to praise him, but that's not my reality. Let this question that's in your mind right now, so what went wrong? Let that be a springboard for you to launch you into discovery. There are believers in this room who would love to have that conversation with you. I'm not naive enough to think that there aren't believers in the room who already know what I'm going to say two weeks from now. And so go to one of them. Uh, even if they don't have the answer, I told you last week that if you don't have the answer when you're sharing your faith with, with someone and they ask a question, it's okay to say, you know what, I'm not sure, but I'll, I would love the opportunity to, to find out with you. Let it be a springboard that you might begin to grope for the answer and find God himself. I want to pray for us, and then I want to give you an opportunity to respond. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. And God, even when we are not uh, in a particular passage, Lord, that we can look at your word as a whole and understand it. It is one continuous story of your design and of your outworking that is meant to give you praise, to glorify you, to shine a spotlight on your wonder. God, I pray now, Lord, that you would cause us, Lord, to see that glory, that we would indeed worship you. For those who don't yet know you, Lord, that you would begin in their hearts, Lord, this, this wondering that leads to desire, that leads to the reality of the hope that can be found in the gospel. God, I pray this for your own glory, in Jesus' name, amen.
If you're here today and, and um, God has particularly spoken to you in some way and shown you something during the message or during the songs, whatever the case may be, we, we want you to respond. Um, it's not enough simply to hear James talks about being doers of the word. And so you complete this sermon by responding in faith. So whatever that is, God is calling you to read today. Um, if you're here today and, and you just have questions, those doors. This time of teaching is brought to you by Abner Creek Baptist Church. For more information, visit www.abnercreekbaptist.com.